we've been talking about Islam. Last week we talked about the history of Islam, and I gave you this nifty little timeline that our own Whitney Esquibel put together for us. Talented lady. She's so good. Uh, um, so Islam starts in the Middle East, in the area of what we would identify as Saudi Arabia, um, with revelations that are made to Muhammad. Muhammad is born in 570. He's just a dude born just a dude. in the Middle East, um, just like Abraham was just a dude living his life. And Judaism exists, Christianity exists, but there are a lot of other religions that also exist in this tribal area. And essentially, he believes that the, April, the angel Gabriel comes to him. Where's my beer? <laughs> That's what reminded you to get yeah, more beer? I need beer? another one. <laughs> Spencer needs his water. That's understandable. It's got to sober up. So Muhammad thinks that the um, angel Gabriel comes to him. I shouldn't say thinks. Um, I'm not trying to undermine it. The, the angel Gabriel comes to Muhammad, reveals to him in a cave that God wants him to recite, essentially, this um, creed that is really already being taught by Christianity and Judaism that there's one God. Well, um, Muhammad says that he has been named as a kind of final prophet and he's supposed to start teaching. But the teaching really isn't exactly Christianity. Is it, it isn't exactly Judaism, but it is Judaism and it is Christianity and builds off of those traditions. And this timeline will show you, oh, why, thank you. Is he even this got me? you a bottle. Oh my gosh, service and a I'm smile. Swiping for all can for the bottle, very sweet. So you see how uh, in this timeline that we had, Muhammad is kind of chased out of his hometown of Mecca. He returns to Mecca, and he starts teaching, and he's living out his faith, and a lot of people become attracted to this faith. And as people become attracted to what he's saying, Islam becomes a religion, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And after he dies in 632, there's somewhat of a controversy about who should take over. Should it be his immediate family? Can it be his extended family? But you see in this timeline, we go through like four family members of Muhammad who are leading Islam. Well, we're about to enter into a stage of transition after the death of Muhammad Ali, who's the last of these four individuals in 661. Since when? Sorry. Since, no, jump right in there. Since when does being related make you qualified? I'm just, I'm just so, that's never made, like, listen, I love my brothers more than life, really. Um, but I don't think any of us are interchangeable. <laughs> well, hang on to that thought. Okay. Because the idea that family would be how you transition power was deeply rooted in the world, yes. especially, um, well, I mean, look, all throughout Europe, uh, kings and monarchs uh, passed down power in this way. This is why you married into power. Um, but also in the Jewish tradition, this is also how power and authority um, were handed down. And so it wasn't unusual to do this. It would have been unusual to do it differently. And that's kind of what happens. We enter into this period of the caliphate, after the death of Muhammad Ali. And this is important to understand about the Middle East because this is the beginning of what most of us think of as the Islamic State. But it's, when I say that, I have the feeling that people have a negative image of the Islamic State. 
So let me explain to you what's happening here um, just a little bit. I want to I wanna pause. This is one of many pauses we're going to take tonight. I want to pause, and I want to ask you to think about this, because the caliphate is like an Islamic state that merges theology and politics, right? Merges the state and the church. And some people may be like, yeah, that's the problem with, you know, the Middle East, or that's the problem with certain um, geopolitical regions. Let me introduce you to a few guys that we started this whole series with. This is Abraham, Moses, and David, who are the patriarchs of Judaism and the patriarchs of Christianity as well. But what's unique about Judaism and Islam when you compare it to Christianity is that those religions start as religions that are inherently governing, right, political in their nature. Yes. Christianity does not start that way. David was not just, for example, um, a religious leader. And he wasn't just a king. He was both. Mm -hmm. And so was Solomon. Mm -hmm. And so was Moses. And so this was very Which is why you need prevalent. to know the history as well. Sure. Well, because, because Christians talk about it. When you hear, but I think like when I was reading the Bible the first few times... Or it was being read to me. Mm -hmm. King, I didn't interpret that as political. I don't know what, I guess I just really honestly just attributed it to the language. Just kind of like, to me, it. I don't know. So, so it is, and I think that's important. This is why, I, this is how I want us to think about this tonight. We're going to talk about Islam. We're going to talk about Judaism. And we're going to talk about Christianity. And I just want people to ask themselves, Are, are the, is the same thing happening here? And we're just using different languages, different books, different times, different countries, different people. Because we, we hear kings from the Bible, right? And we're like, we're totally comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But then we hear caliphate, and it has like this Arabic tone to it, and we associate it with the Islamic State, and we're like, oh, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. That's different. And in a lot of ways, it's not. The caliphate was actually selected, caliphs were selected in what most people would probably say is the early form of Islamic democracy, mm -hmm. actually. So is it fair to say in 2021 it's the president? I mean, if we were saying for 2021 in America. Well, I mean, Western democracy is different because even though America didn't exactly start with what we idealize as the separation of church and state, we didn't really, we didn't really start So, but those way. positions aren't... Similar? Yeah, I mean, they would be they would be similar, to, but they would be a president who also has a kind of input on theology, right? right. So it would be as if the Pope, which I mean, we're going to talk about that here in a second, right. had influence over government. Right. Which well, the obviously, Pope it's has. not allowed right now, but that is what we're saying is that's what was happening that at that time. Kind of leader, yes. yes. So the political leader was also heavily involved in theology. Yes. And there's a long line of the caliphate that are the governing body in the Islamic State, which stretches, we talked about this last week, how the Islamic State starts to grow from Saudi Arabia. You're looking at the express, uh, the expression of Islam growing into northern Africa. It eventually moves into Spain. Out of Africa, it grows even further to the east. But you can see some of the um, caliphate... Of that is 
in evolution. And if you go back to the timeline, you can see that these caliphates actually lasted for a long time. The Ottoman Caliphate is the last. Is your mic broken? Yes. Is your, there's a joke there, but I'm going to, so the Ottoman Caliphate ends in 1924, and that's really when the Caliphate was abolished. But for a long time, you know, that's almost 1,500 years, there's serious technical work going on here. The Caliphate is ruling in this area, and out of the Caliphate, and out of this idea that our, pay no attention, oh, is it just me? Yeah, you got it. Okay. <laughs> so there's this idea within the Islamic community that the community together, through scholarship, through scholars, through, um, through governing bodies, develop this idea of law. And the law that comes into expression is what we understand to be Sharia law. Sharia law is kind of a combination of what the Islamic State believes is essentially the expression of Allah that should be codified into law, right, that we live by. And people may be like, uh, yeah, that's a problem, right? Well, remember, Mosaic law does much the same thing. Mm -hmm. Read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if you're up for it. You're saying that you, in there you'll if you find- If you have a therapist. You, yeah, you'll need one. Venture into those books, those books are an expression of what the Israelites, specifically Moses, Aaron, believe is the law being given by God, the rules we are to follow. And they're not just religious rules. They're rules for society. Yeah. They're rules for the people who are within the nation of Israel. And you are not to deviate from those rules. Now, obviously, there's been some evolution. There's been an evolution in Sharia law as well. And you have to remember that this religion is one of the newest world religions mm -hmm. that we have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there are things that evolve. There are things that come out of this that are different uh, than what I we wish understand we in the West. I wish we would have made a graphic showing, like, Christianity at this age and what that would have looked like. Maybe, you know, just to show, like, if we were as old as This is what Islam. happened yes. 600 years into yeah. Christianity. Yeah, this very Because you would see that it's very similar. It's, it's You can almost so think similar. of Islam as one of the first reformations of Christianity. Right, of Christianity. Yes. You can think of Christianity as a reformation of Judaism. Mm -hmm. And then you can think of Protestantism as the reformation, right, of Catholicism. Yeah. Things are in evolution, and look, I'm not here to defend everything that's done under Sharia law. I just want to give you context for how I'm also not here to defend everything that's done in Deuteronomy. Please either. don't. <laughs> um, Please don't do that. But there's a context to understanding how these, how people are trying to find God, trying in all of this. And I want to pause again right here as we're talking about Sharia. Everybody breathe. Take a drink, take a drink, take another drink, and I want to play another game. This is a night of games. We're going to play the game. I know you are, but what am I? We're all Cheers, toasting right here. Cheers. Mm-hmm. I know you are, but what am I? You get started. I'm going to grab another beer. Okay, so here's the idea. If you're hearing about how Islam spread throughout Northern Africa and Europe and then to the east, um, into Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, and how this was done uh, at times, by the sword, right? These are conquests that are going on. And how 
Islam not only used force at times to occupy and take territory and land, um, but that they also imposed certain religious rules, but were also very open and accepting to a variety of ways that people were worshiping. Right? If you're looking at that and you're like, yeah, I can't believe that this happened, you know, somewhere in the world, and you see Islam as something different than the history that your faith is attached to. I want to invite you to meet in the game of I know you are, but what am I? The Age of Discovery. This is Chris, this handsome guy is Christopher Columbus. He's got stank face on. This is an actual Polaroid that was found <laughs> Color and somewhere everything. in the West Indies. No. Um, this is Christopher Columbus, and in case you are familiar with, what's the show called? The Good Place? The Good Place. Christy and Spencer love oh, it's so good. this show. I could so take it or leave it, but they love this show. So, the Age of Discovery brings, largely in the beginning, Catholics out of Europe. And terror. And guess what they find? They're looking for new land and they find the new world new which land. is new new, <laughs> new to them free land. land right it's like when your kids discover music that you grew up with and they're like hey i found Check a new song cool stuff. a like... new song really duran duran is new? <laughs> anyway so they find the new world and they decide they really like it what they really like are the minerals that are here gold, silver, all kinds of things, and timber. Timber. And so this is an exploration of Catholicism, but it's also a conquest by Catholicism. And when I say Catholicism, I'm talking about the connection between the church and the state in claiming land that was occupied by other people much like you saw the caliphates do throughout Northern Europe and throughout uh, the east of Saudi Arabia um, into what we know as Iran, Iraq, India, Afghanistan, Pakistan. The Catholic Church and Western monarchies are doing the same thing in the four, late 14, 15, 16, and 1700s. Largely the exploration, I guess, is in the 15 and 1600s. If you've never heard of it, there is a there is a document called the Treaty of Tordesillas, which was executed. So beautiful. You like that? <laughs> Tordesillas? Everything you say in Spanish is like, it's, it's so pretty. Tordesillas. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Tordesillas. What does it mean, though, before we start, like, romanticizing something I, super I think violent and graphic? Okay, great. But um, what happened after the New World was explored was the Catholic Church was involved in making the determination as to where a line would be drawn to reflect what Spain would get and what Portugal would get. And so the Vatican, the Pope, made this decision, and then a new Pope changed that line and said, well, actually, we're going to change the line, and Portugal can take more of this, and Spain can get less of that. Or, or vice versa. And then the treaty came about because after interference by the church, those two nations came together and said, hey, look, let's settle our dispute, right? So that we don't take this any further. But that was the involvement of the church. The church had involvement in financing and in influencing how the new age of discovery was going to go. And if you're like, well, that was a long time ago and it didn't have anything to do with Americans per se, right? You should read some of the handiwork of people like Josiah Priest, 
who wrote a book called Slavery as it Relates to the Negro or African Race and what Josiah Priest used, which became very influential in the Christian church in America, was the theory that African people were descendants of Ham in the Bible and that Ham's curse extended to them, essentially justifying the entire transatlantic slave trade. And They were like, so historically we've always treated these people as subhuman. Moving forward, Mm -hmm. we better not stray from that. We better just, because, I mean, you can bring a curse to life by just deciding that you're not going to do something differently. It's a crock of shit and it's annoying. Okay, move forward. (laughs) I want that as the video that we replay (laughs) over and over. Somebody needs to take, it's a crock of shit, and it's annoying. And it's annoying. And make that my ringtone when Shy calls. And it's true. Uh, Spencer's on (laughs) that. Spencer's on it. So, all right, another time. Thank you. I need to breathe right now. Another time to pause and reflect. When you look at how the history of our faith and the history of our related faiths have operated at times, um, when we were going over this lesson in preparation for tonight, I think at one point you were like, I'm so tired of, did you say Christianity or religion or yeah. like just I'm exhausted? It's exhausting. It really is. Of thinking of it. So what do you, what do you do with all of this? Well, I hope that on the one hand you recognize that our struggle is someone else's struggle and someone else's struggle looks a lot like our struggle. Yeah. I think it's like that same it's the same feels like you will not find a family without skeletons in their closet. Like it's it's all of us, which we should mention really quick because we were going to mention about the game. We could find really that game was hard because you could find yeah. the same things from the Bible in the Quran. Like we could have found that was the idea. That was that was the whole point of it is that and like you, you can find up. something super beautiful in both of them and you can find something really ugly. I feel set up. You were kind of set up. What? We prayed on the fact that it's going to be really hard to distinguish which one is which. I feel yeah. like there was no praying going on in that situation. It was <laughs> just you, to get me and Spencer to take shots. Thank you, Jose. I appreciate that. I that's mean, true. That's kind of what I thought. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the idea is like, you can't, I mean, say, you just can't look at somebody else's shit and not realize like, how that plays into your own life. Nobody's nobody nobody here is going to say that Christianity is the same theology in every way, shape, and form. All the details, all the nuances. Right. That Christianity is the same as Islam. Islam is the same as Judaism. They're not, and they don't have to be. But when you look at those cultures, when you look at those sacred texts, don't be any more critical of anyone else's than you are of yourself. And... Totally. On the subject of criticism, while we have been critical of things that have happened in the name of religion because it's truth, it's fact, it's mm-hmm. history, um, I want to use the, the the stop hammer time slide <laughs> to get us to transition our energy here. Because for all of the things that people in the world of religion have done, mm-hmm. there are things that people in the world of religion that that have that have. Let me try that again. There are things that people who are people of faith have done that are... Suck. 
No, that are that are amazing. Oh yes, I thought you were saying there are things <laughs> no. that they have sucked, but we also have people who are yes, amazing. That, yeah. are ama- that are amazing. Sorry guys. Um, this guy here who looks almost like a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> is John carved out of wood. Is Woolman. what this looks like. Really? He was an early abolitionist, and his motivation and his ethic for being an abolitionist was his Quaker faith. Quaker is probably an early form of Protestant Christian mysticism, honestly. Um, And Quakers were at the forefront of the struggle to abolish slavery. Martin Luther King was an activist, but he was fundamentally an evangelist. Mm -hmm. It was his Protestant upbringing and his faith in Christ that caused him to preach and to ultimately give his life. But here's the mirror that you're looking into, right? Mm -hmm. We see these men and we can identify with these men easily, but you have to be willing to do the same thing for people like Jamal Khashoggi, who's, can you, can you see this? Ben, this is Ben's homemade t-shirt. There you go. Yeah, that's my homemade teacher. That he went home to actually change it. I did. I changed it. I'm glad you did. I wanted to see it. So I could share it with everybody because I made this shirt um, after uh, Jamal Khashoggi was killed. And I I think the evidence is fairly clear at this point that he was executed at the direction of the prince of Saudi Arabia. And so when people hear that, if you're like, yeah, you know, you take a negative view of Islam because. You know, the, the prince of a nation ordered the execution of this guy. You have to remember the guy, the journalist, was also Muslim. Yep. So, you know, who, who, whatever side you're—I think there's only one side to fall on there. The well, journalist kind who of. was doing the work of being critical yes. is Muslim. But both of those people were— they originated out of the same faith. Yeah. And that's like the whole moral same, of the story is same like area. He's Saudi. Same place. Same. And, and you come, come away from it with completely different perspectives. Or what about this woman? Um, Dr. Ala Murabit is one of She's the beautiful. leading advocates for women's rights in the world. She is, um, adamantly openly Muslim. Um, she, is as involved in the transition to equality among the genders as anyone I know. She Where writes, does she, live? she blogs. She did live in Canada for a while, and she may be back in Canada now. Mm-hmm. You can actually watch a TED Talk that she gave on what her religion really believes about women. Um, so if you'll Google that or just search that on YouTube, oh, you can find it. It's only got like 5 million fascinating. views. So check her out or go to her website. Um, because you'll find a lot of interesting stuff. And so we pause again in the journey. Everybody drink. Karen. Everybody breathe. Wait, I have to... (laughs) Do you see, this is my favorite meme of the night, actually. Even street signs are tired tired of Karen. So as we're talking about what Christianity is, what Islam is, what these faiths aren't. I want to introduce you to my friend, Rashid, who is a Springfield resident and the treasurer of the local Islamic mosque. Um, Yeah, I'm so jealous you got to go hang with him. So I have interviewed people of the faith community we're talking about for every message that we've had. 
And I want you to know this message has not been any different. Um, be, are you, you're looking at me like you're going to say something. Was that picture taken at the mosque here in Springfield? Yeah. That is just beautiful. <laughs> I know. And the stuff in the background there. Like you can only see a little bit of it and it's so gorgeous. It's are you, were you not allowed to wear shoes? Striking. You're not allowed to wear shoes. Um, but you like can wear flat bills. Middle East and yeah, <laughs> I was allowed to wear my hat. So appreciate that. <laughs> Got to cover the dome. Oh my gosh. Um, he, we spent, I, I met Rashid. I called him out of the blue. And I said, hey, this is who I am. As you do. Rashid, would you be willing to meet with me? And he said, yeah, why don't we just meet at the mosque? And so we met at the mosque and we talked for two and a half hours. You're we so talked. brief normally. I don't <laughs> understand how you could even find. <laughs> oh my God. I'm almost out of time already. Good Lord. Um, so Rashid and I sat around. We talked. I took pages upon pages of notes. Um, I, I didn't videotape him at his request, which is why you haven't seen a video of him sharing. But I hope that the information and the ethos that he shared with me of Islam has come out in the words that I've shared. I hope I've done right by him. And I even had a conversation with him at the end. I mean, we toured the whole place. We walked <laughs> every foot of this I'm space. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. And agreed that when, you know, COVID is over, we, we need to have our churches together to break bread. And uh, I committed that I would, would follow Do they do the it. daily prayers there? They do the daily prayers there in that temple. That temple is facing, you can see in the corner right there, you pray to the corner that is kind of pray. behind me that corner is facing Mecca, so all prayers uh, should take place, ideally, facing Mecca, and that's the direction that you'd stand. Now, there is a wall there, and typically, not always, but typically, the women will stand behind that wall, and men will stand in the front of the prayer room. Oh. So, look, it, it's, it's not everything that okay. would be normal to you and me. Yeah. Um, there are appreciable differences here. Yeah. But there are a lot of similarities here. Yeah, totally. And I just would encourage understanding. I asked Rashid in this conversation, I'm like, well, after we were like 90 minutes deep into, you know, talking about our lives, what do you say to people who say negative things about Islam because of X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. And I invited him to ask me the same question about mm -hmm. Christianity. And he said, that's not Islam. Mm. That's not Islam. And if that's Islam, I don't want to be Muslim. Mm. And the reason I find that striking is because like the day before that, I had contacted my friend, Mickey Pulley King, who's a, who's a preacher at Westminster and was in, featured in our video on the history of Christianity a mm -hmm. few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And she said, if I do this video for you and I talk about contemporary Christianity, I'm not including this white supremacy nonsense that's going on right now that's trying to capture part of our faith tradition. And I said, why not? And she said, just as Rashid said, because that's not Christianity. And they don't get to be part of the story. They don't get to take it from us. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. Because if that's Christianity, it's going to sound really familiar. I don't want to be Christian. Yeah, I'm, I struggle with that. I'm so resentful at what Christianity has been used to do that I fall into just like not wanting to identify with any Christianity because I'm just like, nah, I think it's ugly. But I like hearing that. Like, I like hearing people claim like, this is not what it's about. This is not, this people is not it. And all of these faith traditions, Rabbi Block, 
Anna Weiner, Mickey Pulley King, mm-hmm. right? Jen Simmons, Rashid, all of us are working to try to stay aligned in a world that is constantly pulling us in a different direction. But my encouragement to everybody is to not let anybody else tell you what the spirit of Christ is. And don't let anybody else tell you what somebody else is. Mm -hmm. You find out. Yes. Talk to to somebody. Yes. You visit the mosque. When we asked what people know about Islam and what they want to know, I mean, it was a resounding, like, I don't know anything about it, which is so, I appreciate the humility within the walls of this place. But I think that that's the general, like, consensus is, like, people don't really know. And it's intimidating. I know it can be intimidating. It can feel overwhelming because sometimes we don't think we know enough about our own faith, let alone to walk out and be like, well, tell me about yours. Which is true. Learn about yours, too. Which is true. Yeah. These things, these things, if they're important, should be spaces where you invest your time. And if you choose not to, that's okay. But be honest about the fact that there's a lot of history here. There's a lot of theology. There's a, there, there are deep, deep wells here to draw water from. But if you don't go to the water, if you don't go to the well and you're thirsty, maybe that's why. Mm. So with all of that in mind, we started thinking about all the things that we have in common. And I was encouraged by the idea that there are these mystical elements of all three of these Abrahamic faiths that you find in Islam and Judaism and Christianity. In Islam, it's Sufism. In Judaism, it's Kabbalah. And in Christianity, we call it Christian mysticism. You can find sex of it. You're laughing because that's boring. I know, it's not very original. (laughs) Well, I mean, there are Christian mystics who are Catholic, the Desert Fathers, the Quakers, so there are, I don't want to call them sex, but it's a different approach to mm-hmm. alignment, mm-hmm. to union. Yeah. This is actually what we're using in our morning meditation series, right? We're doing a Kabbalah study, and you don't have to be how Jewish to do it. What would you say? I said, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Dang it. How dare you, Ben? And it's Ben. Dude, we have poems to read. Oh, All right, so let's gosh. do that. We decided tonight. They're so beautiful. I just don't want to miss them. We were gonna cl- We were gonna finish our six weeks on the Abrahamic traditions by closing with poems. We could have done six weeks on just Islam. Honestly, we yeah, we could have. I thought that might have been a much, but <laughs> next, <laughs> next series. series we're gonna six weeks of Islam. Guys. All right, so we have two poems to share with you, and this is how we're gonna <clears> close tonight. Um, the first one, well, they're both from. The artist known as Rumi. Um, Jalal al-Din Rumi is a Persian poet born in the 1200s. And he is probably the most well-known Sufi mystic. And we wanted to read two poems tonight because they're beautiful. They're Islamic. And I think they touch all corners of the faith's that Mm -hmm. we have talked about. I also think as Shai reads the first one and I'll read the second one, I want to, we have, we have a lot of fun. This is usually pretty high energy and kind of chaotic, but I I want us to, I want us to just let our, 
ourselves settle and to think about how these poems are read in a way that probably reflects how you should approach sacred text and literature that comes from the Bible, the Quran, the Hadith. Um, these are not newspaper articles. Yeah. Well, and I'd love for you to listen the same way you did when we were reading verses for Spencer and Jose. Just pretend you don't know where it comes from and uh, just keep an open mind. So Shai's going to read one and I'm going to read one and then we'll say goodnight. <clears throat> and the first one by Rumi is called Love is Reckless. Love is reckless, not reason. Reason seeks a profit. Love comes on strong, consuming herself, unabashed. Yet, in the midst of, midst of suffering, love proceeds like a millstone, hard-surfaced and straightforward. Having died of self-interest, she risks everything and asks for nothing. Love gambles away every gift God bestows. Without cause, God gives us be- gave us being. Without cause, give it back again. God, that's so beautiful. I know I've run over again tonight, but I want you to think about this poem, which comes out of um, the mysticism of Islam, as a poem. It, it helped shed light for me on this story that comes out of Matthew 26, where a woman shows up and pours perfume on Jesus's hair. In an alabaster jar, she, she spills all of this perfume into his hair. And in response, the disciples are furious. And they ask, why this waste? Why this waste? And Jesus says, leave her alone, man. She's done a really beautiful thing for me. You're gonna have the poor with you always. Because what they say in that story is that the money they could have got from selling that perfume Mm. would be almost a year's wages that could go to feed the poor. Now, who can argue with that? Mm -hmm. But here's where the mystical element comes in. Here's where the deeper meaning of that story may reside. Maybe what Jesus is telling us is what Rumi is writing about. That this woman gives everything away. that she gambles, right, all of it on Christ. That Jesus doesn't have any problem with you caring for the poor. He's making a statement that love isn't reason, Mm -hmm. that reason seeks a profit, but love is reckless, man. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Love gives it all away, which is the demonstration of his death. Right? We would all be there saying, save yourself, man. Yeah. Tell this man, tell Pilate who you are. If you live, all the good things you'll do. Yeah. Well, and don't do it for me, I think is also, yeah. But he seeks a higher love and purpose. He's willing to gamble it all away. And his death leads to things that maybe his life would not have led to. The final poem of the night from Rumi. Is called The Way of Love. The way of love is not a subtle argument. The door there is devastation. Birds make great sky circles of their freedom. 
How do they learn that? They fall. And falling, they're given wings. You so distracted me. Your absence fans my love. Don't ask how, then you come near. Do not, I say, and do not you answer. Don't ask why this delights me. Stars burn clear all night till dawn. Do that yourself. And the spring will rise in the dark with water. Your deepest thirst is for. You're the spring. We're the grasses trailing in it. You're the king coming by. We're the beggars along the road. You're the voice. We're echoes of. You're calling for us now. How could we not return? And I end with this poem because we have been critical of religion at times in the sense that we've been honest about the history. But I hope as we close tonight, we can remember that God is the voice, as Rumi says, that we're the echoes of And if you hear God calling for you, if you believe that is your source, how could you not return? So, we'll leave that with you tonight to think about what your faith is. Maybe what about what your faith has been, your faith history has been, and what your faith will be. And the boldness that you will seek it with. I'm gonna have a drink now. As you should. Also, I would encourage outside of that, like I said, we could have done six weeks just on Islam, but if there's anything you take with you, it's that uh, Google is just a click away and you are welcome to look at all of the similarities, all of the differences. I mean, it's right there for you to see and you'll learn so much about us and yourself um, through seeing all of that. So We'll put together a list of resources and publish that on the 425 page yeah. in the event that anybody's interested in reading more. So totally. Look for that. Totally. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us. We had a lot of fun tonight. Um, The most fun was making the tech guys take (laughs) shots. That was the best. So thanks for joining us. We will see you again next Thursday. Ben, what are we doing next Thursday? Thursday night, we start, um, we transition into Hinduism. Ah, I love this. It's going to be, if there's one religion that has a claim to being older than Judaism. Ooh, it's Hinduism. Hinduism. We're excited. Um, Spencer? You guys need to keep vamping for about 741. another... 741. Uh, no, we're going to say goodbye so nobody wins the bet. Thanks for being here tonight. We love so you. Close.
I'm at 743 and it's 741. No, we're not doing it. Last week. We love you guys. We'll see you again next week at 630 p.m. Thanks for joining us.